Hello there, I'm Ashley. And I'm Jamie. And we are the hosts of Bloodbath, a true crime podcast. We are here to keep the victims' names alive and also make fun of the bad guys in the process. Because let's be real, they deserve it. We cover all the cases and more. Catch a new episode every Friday, wherever you get podcasts. But wait, there's more. Bye, 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 bye. Welcome back, creeps. Hello, everyone. My oh my, do we have a show in store for you tonight. Indeed. Or this morning, or whatever. But first of all, we need to talk about our weekend. Last weekend. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so a few months back, we got an email from one of our beloved creeps. Mm-hmm. Who, by the way, in the email said is a fellow sloth fearer. So straight away I knew, <laughs> all right, this is a good one. <laughs> but no, she reached out and she said, hey, I work at uh, the, what's it, the Renaissance In- Festival? Yeah. Yeah. She's like, the company I work for um, has it like a booth up there. You know, I have some free tickets or whatever if you want to come up. And we already had two tickets. So we were like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, so we brought... Uh, oh, and she was like, yeah, because I, I make swords. Casually. So, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. A few months go by and we're like, okay, I guess we'll, you know, cash out on these free tickets and go see what that's all about because mm-hmm. I had never been. Mm-hmm. And I was expecting, and in the videos, I say it about 800 times. I was like, I just thought this was just going to be a load of tents. Yeah. But no, it was not just a load of tents. It was a full on village. It was. And the swords that Kirsten, by the way, is the creep. And she is creep of the week. uh, Patron of the week and the whole lot. But um, the swords as well. I was expecting, like, I don't know, like, decorative fucking swords. Yeah. Like the ones that you see, like, at cons and stuff. Yeah, like, they they used to sell them in, like, a shop where I'm from. Yeah. And they're, like, a couple of hundred euro. And I was like, nobody could ever afford that. (laughs) <laughs> but then we met the next level. <laughs> yeah, the real uh, McCoy. So, like, the Renfest, I believe it's, uh, so it's about a month and a half. Yeah, it's six weeks. Yeah. Six weeks long. Only happens on the weekends. And it starts late summer into fall. Yeah. These fairgrounds, they look very much like you're walking in a village where... The establishments are still made out of, like, raw wood, you know, like, almost like not really Yeah, it really looks like a medieval wood. village. Like. Exactly. So, I think these these places stay there. They're empty when the, the, the festival is not going on. Yeah, no, they're legit buildings. Like they're, they're buildings. Yeah, yeah they don't take them give, down. Yeah, just to give you a word picture. Okay. Yeah, because they don't know. That's what I'm trying to be, like, really descriptive. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like, just say that they're building <laughs> know, wooden structures. Yeah, they're wooden structures. They're not... Yeah, it's a permanent... They're very rustic. Yeah, yeah and yeah. it's a permanent setup that they have there. Yes. But Go it, on. Either way. <laughs> so we get there, and obviously, like, we were super excited to meet Kirsten, because we were like, 
very nervous actually i was a tiny bit nervous because i've i've never met a creep in person yeah me neither like this is like a first time for everything for us yeah and uh either way we met kirsten and she was an absolute rock star her and her boyfriend isaac first of all i just want to say she's gorgeous okay that's just my opinion (laughs) um so when she came and she was she was like this she looked like a tall nordic elf dressed in like pirate buccaneer garb and she's like like and then she come like i don't know if i came for a hug first or she did but when we embraced i smelled it she smelled how she looked where it was like (laughs) i go i go sailing on this pirate boat and i go to india to gather spices and shit and that's why i smell this way you know like in a good way not yeah like she smells spicy and exotic and she's (laughs) like oh yeah i got this oil here at the ren fest and i'm like take me there it's amazing but anyways so i just i eventually told her i was like it's gonna be weird uh seeing her out of this kind of like clothing Uh, seeing her as an actual i can't imagine her any other way like in my head she's forever this this seafarer pirate (laughs) captain woman you know (laughs) who is decked out in knives yeah and swords exactly like even her walking stick which i thought was just a walking stick like to go along with her outfit is a sword yeah turned out that was a sword yeah we were very well protected yeah and she met it she uh introduced us to her crew uh the people that she works with um and they all are a collective that like very much teamwork these swords axes daggers anything you can think of they make all these things out of raw materials and we're talking like color the style of the hilt the blade itself they make it all by hand yeah no and everything is one of a kind like Mm-hmm. No, safe to say we were absolutely blown away. She was just a fountain of information when it came to the types of steels and Oh yes, yeah. stuff like materials. I never knew I needed to know. I didn't even I was... know I would have an interest in it until she started telling us and I'm like, "No shit." Yeah. You know, like that's insane. I was in in what do you call it? What's the word? Engrossed. Shocked. Oh. <laughs> I was engrossed in all the in, all the stuff that she was telling us about this. Yeah, and like aside from all the knowledge we gained on metallurgy, metallurgy, whatever the word is, we just had a fucking blast hanging out with those with those guys with uh with Kirsten and her boyfriend and everybody. Yeah, it was just such a nice time like. So, thank you, Kirsten. Thank you yeah. again. We've probably like we've thanked her so many times but it just like we genuinely mean it though like it was just it was an experience for her i wonder if if, like she could understand or grasp what kind of probably not because she's this is a very subjective thing but it was it's such a fond memory for me yeah no me me too absolutely i was like i felt like a kid at christmas or something it was just it was lovely like everything about you know what it felt like what I bet this is how Wendy felt when Peter Pan came and brought her to to Neverland. <laughs> I bet this I is guess, what it was yeah, like. I guess, yeah, I can kind of get, yeah. 
But I think my favorite part of the whole experience was as you were standing there watching the light or the fire show all together, like everybody crammed in this like Coliseum type amphitheater thing. And we heard a wolf howl in the background and she just went, lycanthropy. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, anyway, Kirsten, we genuinely appreciate you. That was so much fun. And Mm -hmm. um, anyway, with that being said, I'm going to get cracking on this week's story because we're back with good old fashioned ghosts. And I love it. Oh, really? And I hate it. And it's delightful. All right. Do tell. Yeah, this one has had me kind of looking over my shoulder. I was working no on way. this late last night. Yeah, and like, I guess I was in here until like after 12, like tapping away before I actually called it quit. And I was like, I thought you were going to say before I called the cops. <laughs> no, I was like I had this window open or the blinds open and Max kept looking at something. Uh, and I even got up to check because I was like, I bet you it's that weird cat with no tail. I hate when they do that. But there was nothing there. I was like, what are you looking at? But he anyway that's what i mean like they look off into the distance and i'm like i hope no but like he was like a full alert and he kept running from the window to the front door yeah like when we come home Mm. but nobody was there i was like fuck (laughs) this i'm going for a shower and i'm going to bed (laughs) (laughs) anyway so on this week's episode we'll be taking a look at a story i came across from the 80s right okay the main source pretty much the only source that I'm going to be using for this series is a book called The People in the Attic. Okay. By Doretta Johnson and Jim Henderson. All right. Not Jim Henson of Muppets fame. Oh my God. But Jim Henderson. The story is a first-hand account and was taken from the diary of Doretta Johnson and like just from her memories for the most part. And I think Jim Henderson was just there to help guide her through the actual storytelling process. Okay. And I will give a little heads up here. There will be some mentions of physical abuse and domestic abuse or domestic violence here and there throughout the story. But I've weeded out like through a lot of it. And I'm just trying to keep this as relevant as I can for the purposes of this episode. That being said, this story literally hits every single paranormal horror movie trope in the book. And it's. Like, it's just so juicy and creepy and, like, blood-curdlingly delicious, right? All right. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. I can tell. So, (laughs) I'm just going to jump right in and start by introducing the family. Doretta, who sometimes is referred to as DJ. Okay. Or Doe. She is the mother, um, matriarch of this family. Ron is her husband. Stephen and Ashley are the kids. Stephen is Doretta's child from her first marriage, okay? Okay. And we begin today's story in the year of 1987. Guns N' Roses had just released their debut album, Appetite for Destruction. The Bangles, Walk Like an Egyptian, was top of the charts. And the air tasted like Marlboro Reds, freedom, and success. Hang on. You forgot one thing. I haven't forgotten anything. I know what you're going to say. What? It was the year you were born. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, little baby Dulce was just bopping around Houston. But um, curly hair and the tiniest eyes. (laughs) Anyway, Doretta and Ron had been living in Madison, Indiana for almost a year and they loved it. They had moved from Louisville, KY, to get away from the fast paced city living and the effect it was having on young Stephen. 
He was 11 at the time and growing up too fast for Doretta's liking. Hmm. The landlord of the house that they had been renting in Madison had decided he was going to sell the place and so Doretta and Ron decided they would try and buy a place of their own. One day, Ron came home with a real estate magazine, happy as a pig in shit because he had found a little banger of a property. He showed Doretta and she definitely saw the potential, although she wasn't quite as like cocksure gung-ho as Ron. You see, the property Ron was looking at was actually an old motel. All right. <laughs> yeah. An unpaved driveway and wild, unmaintained garden led up to a fairly large house with an added wing that included five separate units, which used to be the motel rooms. Okay. The place looked like it needed more than its fair share of work, but Ron assured her that at $59,900, this was an absolute steal. And in his defense, it would be the perfect place to set up a daycare center which was one of the ideas they had thrown around in the past. Like they, they just wanted to own their own business, and like whatever that was. So when he saw this place, he was like, "Daycare center, boom! Look at that, brilliant! They can live in the main house and fix it up, like bit by bit, and gradually get their business up and running as well." Okay. Still unsure about this, Doretta agreed to go and take a look at the place over on Clifty Drive. When they got there, they realized that it was more than just a fixer-upper. The place was in absolute fucking shambles and would require a lot more attention than they had originally thought. Ron was hooked on this new dream, though, and as they proceeded to peer in through the dusty windows, a man came out from a house about 150 feet behind this one. It was a little bit smaller and not far better in terms of how well it was kept. He said, I help you folks. He introduced himself as Benny Cyrus and told him the property was owned by a man named Jerry Freeman. Freeman had bought the place as an investment property a few years ago and Benny moved in with his family and managed the motel but eventually it closed and after that they moved into the smaller house at the back of the property. Ben said, quote, we just couldn't handle it here anymore. Hmm. Yeah. That doesn't... Yeah, it doesn't like, yeah, but they, so they just assumed like, oh, you know, it's pretty big and the extra rooms and stuff. I see. So they're, they thought it was a workload that they were referring to. Exactly. Mm. And at the time there had been plans for a big nuclear power plant to be constructed not far from Madison, like at the time when Freeman actually bought the property, Mm -hmm. but the construction had ceased or the plans fell through or for whatever reason, it didn't go ahead. So... It made sense that as to why the property had been sitting on the market for the last two years or so. And Benny told them that they were more than welcome to have a look around the house. But then he just walked away back to his own house and didn't offer to like let them in or anything. He was like, well, have a nice look now. <laughs> and they just walked f- off. Oh, okay. So they were just left to their own devices. Yeah. Then. All right. And then what happened? Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you because that's what I have written down here. <laughs> So, no, they had a look around and they saw that the place was in fucking bits. But they arranged a meeting with the realtor soon after this. And she took them inside and they saw just how much actually needed to be done. A buttload, I'm assuming. All new drywall, new plumbing, new wiring, painting, floors and all that goes along with it. 
So literally, they just had a shell of a ho- of like a hotel. Yeah, more or less. Like, and so as far as I can make out, it's a single story. It's one complete single story house, including the motel rooms. Like, okay. But the realtor assured them that there had been rumors that the place had been rotted, like the actual structural wood had rotted. But she assured them that that wasn't the case. Like she had shit to prove it, like or whatever. Yeah, she had it inspected. Yeah, thank you. Inspection. So she was like, structurally, it is sound, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. How many uh, rooms did the hotel have? Like the actual motel had yeah. five. It was just five. Okay. Yeah. But this was not going to just be a busy weekend of cute 80s montage decorating. <laughs> Ron seemed even more excited now. Like with the prospect of all this work. Really? Yeah. And like... As somebody who has dreams of doing something like this, uh-huh. I can understand it. You know what I mean? Being like, I can do this. Like, I can absolutely do this. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. We'll do it. Let's do it. You sound like my dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but even the realtor was like, do you know what you're getting yourself into here? Yeah. Like, she's looking at this young family and being like, you know, I guess like didn't want the guilt of this hanging over her head. That makes sense. Yeah. In the meantime, well, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Concern. In, yeah. In the meantime, Ron is looking out the back garden, going like, "Look, we could put a little playground here for the daycare. Like the kids can just come straight out here and play." <laughs> that's cute. Yeah, especially. Um, I'll get back to this later, but Ron is actually six foot six, and looks the spitting image of John Candy with the mustache. Oh wow. Yeah, John Candy's Uncle Book, right? I'm getting. Yeah. The, yeah. 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 Like, even, oh, he just looks like such a big, cuddly fucking, like, dude. Um, You're cute. (laughs) (laughs) He's so cuddly and cute. He is, though. (laughs) Like, so now in my head, like, I've seen pictures of the actual people. Mm -hmm. But even still, as I'm reading through this book and making these notes, in my head, I'm seeing Uncle Book and that lady uh, that was his, like, on and off girlfriend. Oh, the redhead? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Ron pestered the realtor so much over the next couple of weeks, calling her constantly, being like, hey, can I just get back in and like measure this or do whatever, that she just gave him his own set of keys and was like, here, Knock yourself do whatever out. the fuck you want. <laughs> yeah. And eventually he came up with an idea of roughly what everything was going to cost and made an offer of 24000 right, out of sixty, to buy the whole place. Yeah. So the realtor was like, I mean, I'll make the offer, but I don't know. After a few days of haggling, again, the realtor just stepped back and let Ron talk directly with Freeman. Okay. And after a few days of haggling, the place eventually sold for 24500 <laughs> So okay. you just haggled for 500 more. Yeah. All right. Right. But ironically enough, 24500 in 1987 is worth around 60000 in today's money. Yeah um top man that inflation yeah again this is kind of off topic but it does play into the story a little bit like doretta had had a really rough time of things growing up okay like i mean it was an awful childhood mm-hmm. and like adolescence and early fucking adulthood but again i'm not going to go too deep into it but essentially her mom was just not a very good mom at all she suffered with extreme alcoholism and for the most part, Doretta was in the care of her grandmother, who, although was loving and caring, 
was also very strict and very fond of the belt. Mm. Doretta's memories of the fleeting stays with her mom were like fucking awful. The mom was extremely neglectful and violent and so were her many partners. Oof. To top it all off, when Doretta was only very young and in the care of her mom, she had to go for heart surgery. And this is just one example of how she was treated at the time. Like half of this book is just awful childhood memories and experiences. But her grandmother couldn't get to see her that often while she was in the hospital. Obviously, she was in there for a few weeks recovering and her mom just didn't really care. Like she was just a horrible cunt. And for the most part, little Doretta was just in the hospital room on her own, like taking care of herself more or less just waiting for the nurses she didn't have anything with her like even so much as like a personal blanket Mm -hmm. but the room that she was in she shared with another little boy who was obviously going through something very similar and his family obviously loved and cared about him very much and he had all these like stuffed animals and shit like that and Mm -hmm. there was constantly people in there with him the little boy's dad felt sorry for Doretta and like gave her one of his kids stuffed animals to because like it how fucking awful is that situation like i would do it as well i'd be like here take everything yeah more or less as soon as she got it she held it tight and she fell asleep cuddling it Mm -hmm. her next memory is that when her own mom eventually did come in she woke doretta up by pulling the bear away telling her it wasn't hers and she needs to give it back and that she's bad for taking it in the first place Everyone was upset. Like the other family were there witnessing all this. This poor kid is like struggling, trying to keep the thing. The stuffed animal ends up in pieces on the hospital floor. Uh. All right. Fucking awful. And again, that's just one example. Mm -hmm. So this book goes into great detail on her terrible upbringing and that of her brothers and sisters. And again, while some of it is relevant to the story, I don't think I need to go into every aspect of it. But I mention it because for Doretta, this house was so much more than just a house or a project or anything. This was everything that that poor little child had always dreamed of. It didn't have to be this house exactly, but anywhere that she could call her own and keep her family together and safe. Yeah. You know, so she was so proud of it. Mm-hmm. You know, she was like, this is it. Like, we, this is a real like family home for mm-hmm. me. Stephen, Ashley and Ron mm-hmm. and the house wasn't livable right but they got to work straight away and they were like right if we all just live in this one bedroom we'll get the other rooms fixed up and eventually you know we'll get there so they got the first two or three rooms livable and that yeah they take their time getting the place up to scratch and then you know the plan was eventually they would get onto the daycare section as well but it seemed as though this house had other plans Although they knew it wasn't going to be a walk in the park, there was literally issues with everything. Paint wouldn't set, right? They would paint the wall and the paint would bubble and run down the wall. Ew. They put up wallpaper in the living room one night. And when they came back the next morning, it was all all over the floor, but not damaged. There wasn't a single crease. It was laid out flat on the floor. Mm -hmm. Um, As if somebody had like carefully removed it and placed it there. They brought the paint back. To the store and eventually the guy gave them new paint 
was like here sorry about that like i don't think there's anything wrong with this but here take new paint the new paint was just as bad the guy sent a professional painter out to check the walls for moisture and everything nothing they just kept literally throwing enough shit at the wall eventually something stuck and eventually the place was painted they had hired an electrician uh, to do a complete rewire and it was just a nightmare for him his tools would go missing the new materials that he would order would arrive completely destroyed coming out of the box the dude who came to install the phone line also had a terrible time and like phone line is as straightforward as it comes Mm -hmm. like as long as you keep it in one straight line and don't break it boom that's it that's all you have to do this guy could not get the fucking phones to work for the life of him eventually they would come on for a little while and then they cut out again or when they did come on it would be absolutely awful eventually like the paint after many extra hours like paid extra hours Mm -hmm. it just started working I was like, oh, okay, fine. The fella from the cable TV company came out. And after a little while in the house, he just threw the cable at Doretta's feet and told her, good luck. They don't pay me enough to go into your attic. Whoa. Yeah. Eventually, they got another contractor who came out and he did it. And it seemed fine. Everything seemed like, oh, it's done now. Mm-hmm. It was like all these problems were like, well, what, what were they fighting against? You know? Yeah. So a bunch of random shit happened, like seemingly one thing after another. One morning they woke up to find one of the walls was just soaking wet, right? No rain the night before, no pipes leaking, no explanation, just a one-off thing. This wall is soaking wet. Light bulbs would explode in their sockets on the regular. Appliances would just short out and a lot of them couldn't be repaired. It wasn't like just replacing a fuse, like these were brand new fucking anything and they would just die. Around two weeks after they had moved in, one of their cars blew an engine. The new windows they put in cracked. New bushes and plants that they put out in the garden all died. Whoa. Their almost new lawnmower just stopped fucking working. Just crapped like, out. Packed it in. Yeah, I was like, nah, fuck it. And the house had like this nice sandstone fireplace. It was like one of the only things that they were actually going to keep original. Well, maybe not original, but like that was already in the house. Mm-hmm. But it had this big... It said a nasty crescent-shaped stain in the actual stone just above the opening of the fireplace. And no matter what Doretta used, like no cleaning solution or no matter how hard she cleaned, it just wouldn't go away. So eventually Ron was like, fuck it, let's get a sandblaster. And so they kitted the place out like Dexter style, like plastic everywhere. Mm-hmm. And after enough, I guess, sandblasting, it worked. Oh. And it was, yeah, lovely. They sent that sandblaster back to Home Depot or wherever they had rented it from. And the next day it was back. Well, <laughs> not the sandblaster, <laughs> but the stain. Yeah, the stain. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. Meant. The sandblaster just found its way back. It's like, oh my God, we, lo- we lost our security deposit. <laughs> but no, well, yeah, within a few days, the stain came back. Slowly, a little darker every day until... It was just as bad as it was before. Mm-hmm. Then, one night, as Doretta lay in bed, falling asleep, she suddenly heard scratching in the attic above them. This brought her out of her state of slumber, and she lay there listening. Nothing. She must have imagined it. 
And then just as she was about to close her eyes and try and get back to sleep again, the the scratching started. She woke Ron and told him there's something in the fucking attic, and they both sat there listening in the darkness, but all was quiet again. A few nights later, she heard the scratching again. Louder this time. Loud enough to actually wake Ron up. And he said, you know, it's just a bird that got in or something, like, go back to sleep. Doretta said that if this was a bird, it must have been a fucking turkey because <laughs> of how loud it was. But Ron was just like, well, then it's a raccoon. It's it's something like, it's don't worry about it. Prehistoric like, pterodactyl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's taking a cow in. But no, so Ron was just like, look, just go back to sleep. Like, it's nothing. We'll deal with it later. And so in case you haven't noticed, these two are not ghost believers or anything like that. Like, I think... If us or any of our listeners moved into a house and this kind of shit started happening, we would take the hint. Yeah. And burn it to the fucking ground. Yeah. Or do whatever. But Doretta makes a point, like, all throughout the book, saying that she is a complete and utter skeptic. And nothing about the paranormal even, like, came to mind. You know what I mean? And think about, like, 1987, like, you had movies like The Exorcist or... I guess like the Fridays, or like Friday the 13th or Rosemary's Jason. Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, but not necessarily like they didn't have like the conjurings then. Yeah, yeah. You know, these cases were only happening then. So I guess it wasn't on the tip of everyone's tongue, maybe. But she, one thing that she did remember hearing was an old superstition as a child. She had heard this, that if a bird got into your house, it was a bad omen, a harbinger of death. I actually Googled it because... I had just never heard of it, so I was like, oh, I wonder if it is a thing. And apparently it is. So from Audubon.org, quote, A bird that flies into a house foretells an important message. However, if the bird dies or is white, this foretells death. So just bear that in mind. So even though she was not superstitious, she was clearly just... Regular stitches. A little stitches. <laughs> ah, I couldn't help myself. Even as I was writing it, I was like, fuck you. Man. <laughs> but no, naturally, she just didn't want to tempt fate. It's like, yeah. ask nine out of ten people who say that they don't believe in ghosts or anything like that. But they also will walk ten miles to go around yeah. the ladder rather than walk under it. Like, or you know won't. I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's true. They won't open an umbrella indoors. Yeah, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or like my mom, if you put new shoes on the kitchen table at home, like in the box, my God. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. Because it's the first thing people do. Like You just get bad luck or something. Yeah, that's what they say. But like as soon as you bring home like a bag full of new clothes or whatever, you throw it in the kitchen table. You're like, look what I got. Get them shoes off the table. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the next morning as she was making the bed, a feather floated down from the ceiling vent. Mm Mm-hmm. And that just kind of, it did calm her to a certain degree. She was like, okay, it's nothing to be worried about. It is just a bird, even if that is a bad omen. Like, maybe I'm just being ridiculous kind of thing. And as the weeks went by, all these annoyances just kept piling up. And they were working on the house like five or six days a week. So they started to try and get out out and about on the weekends just to try and clear their heads a bit. On this particular Saturday, they took a trip up to Louisville. To do some shopping and visit mom, visit mom's Ron. What? Ron's mom? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And visit Ron's mom. So, again, like she obviously lived up in in Louisville still. Louisville, Louisville. 
But they stayed there for the whole night and drove home the following morning. And when they got back to the house and went inside, they found that it had been completely destroyed with blood splatters and membrane all over the floors, walls and ceilings. Dead birds lay everywhere. Oh my God. Yeah. And one still barely alive was just slamming into one of the walls oh over and over and over again as they walked in. Speaking of birds, did you know that the blue-footed booby does a mating dance for its part for its prospective partner? It starts out with like lifting up his feet one at a time so that she could see how blue his feet is because the more blue its feet is like the better for the male like it's a good look for the male and then it bows low and it like brings us wings like this it like bows at at the girl like curtsies you know and then lifts up his feet again so she's he's like hey look at my feet look how blue they are and then he gives her a gift and usually it's a stick all right, we've gotten about three pages in here and I have another 12 to go. So, um, But it's really cute. You should Google it. Google blue-footed booby mating dance. Yeah, or join our Patreon for our deep dives on bird <laughs> mating dances, mating riches. So anyway, they walked into the house. There's blood and guts everywhere. Birds just lying all over the fucking floors. So, like, naturally, they went looking for the open window or the door to see, like, where these birds had gotten in. All the windows were intact and shut. All of the doors closed and locked. And the glass shield that covered the fireplace hadn't been touched. They never found out how these birds got in. So those birds broke in. Somehow. How? (laughs) How? Right? This is their thing. They're like, what the fuck? No, I know. (laughs) I know. But no, so anyway, they they had no explanation. They just accepted it. They got to work cleaning up the mess. And they moved on. And yeah, had to repaint the house again. (laughs) They were just like, well, that was weird. And then they just went about their business. I'm telling you, that is literally how they fucking are. (laughs) So strange. But they had to repaint all the rooms that they had just spent weeks painting. Yeah, because there's blood and membrane. Yeah. All the new carpets that they had just gotten had to be cleaned, like professionally cleaned. Everything. Because of bird stuff. Because of bird viscous yeah when they finally had that taken care of they came home one sunday evening to find their kitchen back porch and laundry room flooded they eventually found the source was a brand new hose that ron had fitted to the washing machine only a couple of weeks prior and so naturally they thought oh it's like a leak like where i joined it or something no it looked as though somebody had cut the hose with a fucking knife like just slid it yeah yeah water everywhere now i do think it's worth mentioning that Doretta is already starting to doubt her own mental health like just after weeks and weeks of working in the house and non-stop setbacks i think she just felt so tired and weary and like both physically and emotionally because on top of all that was going on Stephen, the eldest child who was around 11 or 12 at this point had developed some sort of like rash that they said was just regular poison ivy 
but it must have gotten infected or something and the doctors like it took them so long to just get it under control before they could get rid of it and she said like his poor legs and all were just in bits mm. Doretta herself was suffering from headaches Ron had like just started suffering from allergies this had never affected him before and now I know like allergies are like whatever but like in Ron's defense when you get hit hard with a fucking random ball load of allergies it wipes you the fuck out oh yeah like I can't do anything like I just I give up on everything I'm like you know what I'm just gonna go to bed yeah it does you can't do anything yeah you get to a point where you're sneezing so much that it makes you gag the amount of like that's just the sensation of wanting to sneeze. Yeah, and then it, it also lowers your immune system and just makes you feel mm-hmm. like a piece of dirt for a little That's while. That's true now that you mention it. Normally I wake up the next day like with some sort of... Yeah, like your throat sore sort of, from whatever. Yeah. And then, yeah. Anyway, all the while, the little girl, Ashley, who was around a year and a half old, was having a fucking great time. <laughs> <laughs> Her and Stephen were still sleeping in the same room uh, while they were sorting the other rooms out. And Doretta would wake up and hear her giggling and just yammering on as if she was playing with someone. Like throughout the night. And on a few occasions, Doretta would go in and check on her just to find her sitting up in bed, laughing with her arms held out as if she was reaching for someone or something that just wasn't there. Weird. Yeah. Goodbye, little girl. (laughs) Here's your Winnie the Pooh suitcase. Here's a ticket for the 75A. That bus will bring you right by the orphanage. Thank you very much. <laughs> we'll see you at Christmas, maybe. Now, the house still looked like a motel. Yeah. Like, albeit a terribly run down one. But I guess people just saw the cars and the drive and the lights on at night. So every now and then they would get a knock just asking, like... Is uh, there a vacancy? Yeah. But one night, Doretta was up watching TV at around 2 a.m. Ron was working late and she was just waiting for him to come home. When there was a knock at the door. So just like any horror movie, she goes straight to the door and opens it to see who it is at 2 a.m. in the dark. But there's nobody there. A few minutes later, she's back watching TV and she hears the door knock again. It became louder, more frantic, and the door started to shake as though someone was pulling on the handle trying to force it open. So Doretta creeps up to the window to get a good view of the entrance. But again, there's nobody there. The knocking stopped as soon as she looked outside. But she could still hear the noises that a person makes while just standing. Like leaves crunching underfoot and the shuffling of feet. So she goes to call the police and the phone was dead. Again, this is just regular fucking occurrence for them because everything just trips out here. She figured someone was trying to break in though, so she went into the kitchen and she grabs a butcher knife for protection, then went back to watch out the window. After what seemed like a long time, she saw three figures walking from the road up towards the house. The closer they came, she could make out a woman and two boys. It was a friend of hers, Barbara, and her two kids. Barbara's car had just cut out right in front of Doretta's house. Quote, as if the battery had just been removed. The fuck? Yeah, it just crapped out, would not start. So Doretta told her what had just happened. And so the two of them went all around the outside of the house, making sure there's no nobody hanging around or like no signs of intruder Why or anything. Why were they driving around so late? I don't know, like 
coming back from a party or something, I guess. I don't fucking know. Hmm. But yeah, either way, they didn't find anything. Okay. Like, suspicious or anything. But Barbara still needed to call her husband to come and get them. And Doretta said, well, the phone is dead, but wouldn't you know it? As soon as they tried it, they got a dial tone. Mm. Barbara's husband arrived a few minutes later, got into the lifeless car, and with one turn of the key, the engine roared back to life. Lights came back on, not a bother on it. Doretta decided she was going to sleep in the middle bedroom with Ashley and Stephen for the rest of the night, just in case someone was trying to get into the house. So she took her butcher knife and she slid it between the mattress and the box spring, handle facing out, ready to cut someone's fucking face off if they tried to get between her and her kids. Mm -hmm. She was absolutely wankered tired though and fell into a deep, deep sleep. She woke up a couple of hours later, quote, when an extreme pressure on my jaw jolted me awake. Through hazy, stinging eyes, I saw Ashley standing over me, astride my neck, holding the handle of the knife in both of her tiny hands, pushing the tip of the blade into my mouth. Mm. If the knife had not caught on the metal braces I wore on my teeth, it would have gone straight into my throat. Oh my God. Yeah. Let's just unpack this real quick. First of all, I don't know, like, did it get caught? Did it get stuck on on her braces? I I don't know. How would that even? I have no idea. Because your braces are on your teeth. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm guessing she was asleep, like, mouth open. Like, she was knocked the fuck out, but I have no idea. But the other thing that she says is, like, Ashley was stood firmly on the bed. Like, one foot either side of her neck. Mm -hmm. Like, she had total control of her body. Not like a wobbly little unsteady one and a half year old would. Mm -hmm. But her eyes were wide. She was totally spaced out, looking right past her mom. So Doretta grabbed the knife, and as soon as she grabbed it, Ashley fell backwards and just started screaming as if she had been, like, woken with a terrible fright. Mm -hmm. So that whole scene just, like, totally freaked me out. I literally had to read it over and over again because I was like, am I... Like, something just wasn't computing with me. I was like, how did this happen? Like, Mm -hmm. But... Again, Doretta just thought nothing of it. She blamed herself for leaving the knife where she did. And like Stephen woke up when Ashley started crying or screaming. And for the next few weeks, he called her Lizzie Borden. (laughs) 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 But again, that's some freaky shit. So after Christmas. What a dark sense of humor. Yeah. (laughs) After Christmas. All the renovations and unforeseen repairs had drained the family finances because this was back when people actually had savings and weren't living phone bill to phone bill, trying to buy a loaf of bread to tide them over until the next paycheck. But either way, Doretta decided to go back to work. She eventually got a job at a local restaurant and usually was home around midnight. One night, as she pulled up to the house, she noticed that the screen door was open as far as it could be, wedged on the porch floor to stop it from springing back and the kitchen door was also open wide now it was the middle of winter and freezing cold so naturally she thought someone had broken in like something is wrong so she crept into the house woke up ron they checked out the house there was nothing unusual other than that 
and he assured her that he had like checked all the doors and windows before he went to bed nothing was missing from the house or anything it was just weird like why would someone do this so after a while Ron went back to bed because he's a fucking lunatic and this is like just water off a duck's back with Ron Doretta sat down in the kitchen to have something to eat before calling it a night and only a couple of minutes after sitting down to the table she heard a car door slam outside She crept to the window and peeked outside. There, in her car, was what looked like the shadow of a man. Just sitting. Before she even had time to move, a car drove around the bend on the main road and its headlights shone through Doretta's car windows, only to show an empty car. You're seeing things, Doretta. It's time for bed. This was her attitude, and remains to be her attitude for so long. Now, this story takes place over the course of a few years, but as usual, I'm trying to keep tabs for my own sanity on a general timeline. So currently in the story, it's still early in 1988. And a few weeks after the shadow man in the car, Doretto was giving Doretto, Doritos, Doritos. Something I keep thinking when you say Doretta. <laughs> I know, it's such a... Like, it's like, can I get a bag of Doretto's? <laughs> <laughs> bag of Doretto's, bag of Marble Lights. <laughs> um, so a few weeks after the shadow man in the car, Doretta is giving Ashley a bath. Ashley, again, having a fucking time. She had soap crayons. That's awesome. All right, yeah, how fucking cool. So she's busy drawing on the tiles while Doretta's just sitting on the side of the tub, kind of spacing out, staring at these, you know, soap art on the wall. <laughs> but out of the corner of her eye, she looks down, she sees something. She looks down into the tub and through the soapy bathwater, she sees the head and shoulders of a woman lying face down at the bottom of the tub. She grabs Ashley and runs into the hall, then goes back into the bathroom to grab to get her towel. And she looks into the tub and all she sees are suds and these bitching soap drawings. <laughs> <laughs> but she kept this vision or whatever you want to call it to herself because she was terrified. Yeah. Like not of what she saw, but that she was starting to lose her own sanity. Yeah. And this goes back again to how she was raised. Like, she had seen her mom go through moments of sobriety and happiness and only to turn back into a violent monster at the flip of a switch. And she always had that fear that she would inherit this. Mm -hmm. And no matter, like, how hard she tried to protect her family and create this perfect life, she was always afraid that she was only, like, a hair trigger away from turning into her own mom. Mm -hmm. So Ashley turned two in 1988, I think around May. And someone thought it was a fucking great idea to give her her voice-activated talking doll. Which would say, Mama, Mama, Mama. (laughs) Over and over again. In that deep voice. (laughs) I mean, I don't... Your voice got deeper when you said that. I looked for like samples of dolls. I actually tried to find the exact doll on mm-hmm. YouTube last night. It was like 1988, like top dolls on the market. Couldn't find it. <laughs> but you went <laughs> on a deep dive. Yeah, I did. Because um, I thought it would be spooky as fuck. So I ended up saying, ah, oh, fuck it. 
I'll just do just, it myself. Just do it myself. <laughs> now, Doretta admitted that she fucking hated this doll. And a few weeks after Ashley's birthday, she was lying in bed one night and she heard this quiet little voice coming from Ashley's room. Mama. Uh, Mama. <laughs> just like that. Yep. At first, she thought it was Ashley awake and like talking to herself or playing. So she goes to check and as she approaches the door, she realizes that it's this fucking doll. So she opens the bedroom door and she sees Ashley sound asleep in her bed. But this incessant mama, mama, mama is still going. And as she's looking into the darkened room to see where this fucking doll is, it just lands on the floor in front of her at her feet. Mm. Mouth still moving, still droning on. She picks it up, turns it around, turns the switch off, keeps going. She rips the batteries out and finally it goes quiet. She just throws it back into the room. She's like, fuck this, I'm going back to bed. I can feel, this is the bit that was freaking me out last night because I could feel the quiet of the room Mm -hmm. after she finally gets the doll to shut up. Like that tangible silence where you're like, what next, you know? And in case you're wondering, like I was, maybe this is just Stephen being a dick because they're still sharing a room or whatever. Mm -hmm. But no, at this point, Stephen actually had his own room and I think his own bathroom as well. And so whatever. But Doretta just goes back to bed. And as she's lying there trying to go to sleep, she hears it again. Mama. Mama. But now she's just pissed. She makes it halfway back to Ashley's room before she realizes that she had just taken the batteries out. Like she can't be hearing this thing. Mm -hmm. So she decides to go back to bed and eventually it stopped. She wasn't sure whether she was actually hearing it or it was just in her head. Either way, it was just another notch on the madness post for Doretta. But she still got up the next morning and threw that fucking doll in the bin. (laughs) So there is a number of strange Ashley related incidents. One of which happened one morning while Doretta was just about to start doing the dishes. Ashley was in the living room watching Sesame Street in a little antique rocking chair that they had picked up for her. And Doretta had just walked into the kitchen, like just left the living room, got to the sink when Ashley suddenly screamed and Doretta ran back in to find her stuck in the rocking chair. The fuck? Yeah, underneath the seat between like the legs of the rocking chair and the actual rocker. What? Yeah, but this was a child-sized chair. Yeah. So she's like roaring, crying. She's in pain. But she was so stuck that Doretta had to run and grab the hacksaw to cut her out of the chair. Now, little Ashley ended up with bruises all down her back and she wasn't able to tell them what happened. I don't know, like, whether she was just so scared or she just couldn't articulate, like she didn't have the vocabulary yet. But (laughs) Ron's theory was that she jumped off the sofa and hit the chair at just that perfect angle oh so that her momentum God. carried her through the slats in the chair. How? <laughs> These people are rationalists. That's Ration- not even <laughs> rational, though. I know, but it's like, what else like is there? You know what I mean? What, what That's just fr- a different flavor of what you think is crazy. I mean, yeah, you know if somebody I mean? told me, I'd be like... Yeah, like, okay. because ghosts are crazy, but you'd rather a different flavor of crazy. Yeah. Not ghost crazy, but logic crazy yeah 
<laughs> so at this point as well, Doretta was still doing the closing shift at the restaurant. And typically Ron and Stephen would get up pretty early, get themselves off to work in school. And then Doretta and Ashley would wake up a little bit later on. One morning, Doretta wakes up to find Ashley playing outside on the front porch. The kitchen door was wide open and a yellow UPS ticket was on the inside of the kitchen door, stating that the delivery man had called earlier and will come back to deliver the package later. When he came back, Doretta was like, how the fuck did you get into the house? Like, what happened? He said he knocked on the door and it just opened and a little girl was standing there. He asked if her mommy was home and she just didn't say anything. So he called out a few times to see if there was any adults home and never got any answer. So he just left his note. Ashley's hands were too small to turn the knob on the kitchen door. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't tall enough to reach the lock. Yeah. This door just opened itself, apparently. And there was a random little girl standing there. Well, I mean, we're hoping that it was Ashley. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But sometime during 1989, Ashley began to have these little nightly escapades. Oh. Yeah. She would wake up and go into the living room, turn on the TV, grab some cookies or some peanut butter sambos, whatever, and a glass of milk, and then just chill out and like have a time. Doretta and Ron thought this was actually just kind of impressive, like an interesting <laughs> little quirk. And they weren't mad or anything. They were like, oh, fair play to her. Like, she's an independent like little girl and she's not afraid to be in the dark on her own or whatever Mm -hmm. but then they started noticing that her alone time usually consisted of two snacks two glasses of milk Mm -hmm. two plates of cookies whatever she had she would make two of Mm -hmm. and Doretta was in a pretty deep sleep one morning when she was awoken by Ashley who was crying because she had hurt her neck somehow and She was like really, really upset by the time she actually woke Doretta up. And she told Doretta she had been yelling for her from her room and she never came, even though she kept yelling. She said, quote, the little girl said you couldn't hear me. Doretta, who was still half asleep, just pulled Ashley into bed for a cuddle and said, like, what little girl? What are you talking about? She said, the little girl who comes into my room. So Doretta's like, oh, she's after having a nightmare or whatever. They just kind of go have a cuddle and go back to sleep. A couple of weeks later, the family are sitting around the table having dinner and everyone is, you know, saying, oh, how was your day or whatever fucking families do. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) As if you don't have one. But no, when when it's Ashley's turn to speak, she pipes up and says she has a friend. So the Red and Ron are like, oh, that's, you know, that's cute. Like she says, it's a little girl who comes into her room at night to play. So Ron and Doretta are like, okay, I guess it's time we sign her up for preschool. She's obviously, you know, lonely. And they got her enrolled and she starts going and she has a great time in preschool. But she still keeps talking about her friend from nighttime. Her nighttime friend. Her nighttime friend. Nighttime friend had a a different meaning for me. So I was like trying to avoid saying that. But Doretta was lying on the floor with her one day and they were both coloring together you know mm-hmm. mommy daughter time when ashley casually says the little girl doesn't get to color the little girl who comes to your room yeah what does she look like i didn't see her mommy so where does she live she lives in the attic most of the time 
She's very sad. She doesn't have a mommy and she doesn't have her own home. That would be very sad, wouldn't it? Yeah, they stay up in the attic. Who are they? So Doretta wasn't too keen on like playing into this imaginary world of friends, but at the same time she didn't want to discourage her child from having an imagination. Mm-hmm. Who are they? She repeated because Ashley had gone quiet all of a sudden. Doretta's repeat question had made Ashley go from quiet to visibly angry and the intensity of her crayon use had gone from casual shading to aggressively filling the page. And so Doretta tried to lighten the mood by saying, Let me guess, every night after I go to bed they come out and get PB&J sandwiches. Ashley seemed to think that Doretta was not taking her seriously now at all. She stood up and said, How would you like to live in somebody's attic and not have a mommy? And then she gathered up her crayons and stormed off to her bedroom. I think she was around three at this point. Wow. Very empathic child, though. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they had been in the house almost two full years by now. That's impressive. Yeah, because they're like, oh, it's a great house. Shit just keeps falling down around us. It's fine. But... Although they had done their best to make the house, like the actual house part, nice looking and functional, their look was still no better. Their appliances were still fucking up. And then when they would replace them, the new ones would do the same thing. Light bulbs flickering and blowing up in their fittings was just a regular occurrence still. The engine in their other car blew up. And every single pet that they brought into the house died within a few months. Goldfish, cats and dogs didn't matter it was dead within a few months ron was starting to get noticeably moodier and they never really spoke about the getting the their getting the motel wing fixed for the daycare business anymore they started getting weird long distance charges on their phone like for numbers in the virgin islands and even the phone company couldn't explain it what was happening someone carved the word help into the wood paneling on one of the walls And I say help because it's H-E-L-L-P. Ashley was too small. She couldn't have reached it. And Doretta asked Stephen and he was like, Mom, I know how to spell help. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they still weren't totally over the idea that someone was getting into the house just to fuck with them. But the who and why remained a mystery. Now, the Cyrus family still lived in the house just 150 feet behind them and at some stage early on in this like neighbor relationship Doretta after moving from the city they weren't used to this like country style living and the Cyrus kids had let themselves into the house a couple of times Mm. but Doretta was quick enough to put a stop to that and make sure that the doors were locked because it's just I get it if you're in the country and that was a thing that people used to do, but these were city folk and we don't know who you are. Like, yeah. get out of my fucking house. The attitude's different. Kids. Yeah. And they had had a falling out because another time she went out and she was looking for her wheelbarrow or something and she saw the wheelbarrow up at their house. So she went up and she was like, stop taking my shit. And, but that was it. Like, they just had a few cross words. It was nothing to like fill your house full of murdered birds and kill all your pets and blow up all your shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And as well, with all the work that had gone on, I'm assuming that they changed the locks. 
I haven't read that, but in my head, like, that's what I would do, you know? Mm-hmm. So, going back to Doretta's childhood, her mom had married, or at least had children with a few different men over the years. And so, Doretta had a few half-brothers and sisters that seemed to come into her life, like, sporadically. Mm-hmm. But one of those sisters was Mary Lee. She was 10 years older than Doretta, and they hadn't seen each other in seven years. But she called Doretta one evening and Doretta was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, come on up and like, let me show you my new house. Like, you can stay over for a couple of days, like all proud and stuff. But when Marilee got there, she was not impressed and she didn't hide it. (laughs) Like, obviously, her face gave her away. But when she realized how disappointed Doretta was by her reaction, she just told her, oh, no, no, like, you did a great job fixing it up. There's just something like the weird corridor or something makes me feel weird i don't know i think she was just talking out of her eyes i think but the redder's best friend kelly had said pretty much the same thing like the house just gives me the heebie-jeebies kind of thing Mm -hmm. that night as they got caught up she opened up about all the weird shit that they'd been through and even when she was laying things out like this like one after another she was still putting it down to stress like making them think funny things and like oh we've got the darndest look you know what i mean but mary lee was one of us Mm. and she asked Doretta if she'd ever considered using a medium or sorry (laughs) she'd ever considered getting a medium to like just check the place out or anything like that and asked if she'd ever used a ouija board Doretta was laughing at her this was all hocus pocus that's Mm -hmm. her words she was like but we do actually have a ouija board upstairs steven had gotten it for his birthday a few years ago But it never fucking worked. It's just a silly piece of like plastic or or wood or whatever. But she went and got it. It was about three o'clock in the morning. Everyone else was asleep. She snuck into Stephen's room and got it. And her and Mary Lee started communing with with spirits. Yeah. Again, Doretta was not taking this seriously at all. Like she was still laughing her way through it. And she was convinced Mary Lee was fucking with her. But nonetheless, she went along with it. Is there someone there? The planchette went straight to yes. Who are you? S-P-I-R-I-T. Ooh. Doretta was still not impressed and still taking the piss out of it. But Mary Lee actually gave out to her at this point. She said, no, you cannot do that. Like, this is serious shit. So Mary Lee continued with the questions. Do you know my mother? The arrow shot the yes and then flew off the board onto the floor. So Mary Lee decided to change the subject. Are you male or female? Female. What is your name? CK. Just the initials CK. She asked again, but just got CK again. Are you dead? Yes. Obviously, Mary Lee. What the fuck was that all about? Well, I mean, they don't know. Maybe they didn't know. It's just the next door neighbor. Maybe. We got a fax. Pretty. Pres- we got a fax on the Ouija board. Pretty presumptuous to assume that they know. They just said they were a spirit. Anyway. Oh, they did. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Spirit. Yeah. Spirit with uh, only one eye. No, there was two eyes. They spelled spirit. Oh, no. Well, you said just roll that tape back. No. <laughs> and if I'm wrong, I'm just going to edit the second eye back into the first <laughs> eye. <laughs> All right. How Fine. did you die? Murder. 
Do you like Doretta? No. Oh. Do you like Ron? No movement. Do you like Ashley? No movement. Do you like Steven? No movement. Do you like Doretta? No. Again. Oof. Is this house haunted? Yes. By a man or a woman? Before the planchette could move, Marilee jumped and shouted, You pervert! And the planchette flew off the board once again. Doretta was laughing. Because she was like, Who the fuck are you calling a pervert? <laughs> like, but Marilee said it just burst out of her. She was like, I'm sorry, I don't know where that came from. Like, I thought, as I was reading it, I thought, like, oh, like, something touched her or something. That's what I thought. Yeah, no, nothing. It just came out of her, like, seemingly out of nowhere. Strange. Yeah, so they called it quits anyway, and they went to bed, because they were supposed to get up the next morning and have a nice, like, girls' day out, go shopping, go for lunch or whatever. Sounds like a great time. It does. And Doretta figured this was all just Marilee still winding her up, because as a child... When they were reunited for a while, Marilee told Doretta that she wasn't actually her sister, but an alien from outer space. Oh, my God. <laughs> so she, was, re- she was one of those sisters. Yeah. And remember, like there was a 10 year gap. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for five year old Doretta, Marilee was basically a grown up. Yeah. the A voice of authority. Yeah. And so she had no choice but to believe her. And yeah. she did. Oh, my God. Yeah. Obviously, she never forgot, forgave her. <laughs> um. But it's just one of the reasons why she is such a hardcore skeptic now. Okay. Well, it turns out I was never an alien. So, you know. (laughs) You don't have anything to be afraid of. (laughs) But uh, anyway, so the following morning, Marilee walks into the bathroom and the hairdryer just turns on by itself. Marilee is shitless. So she runs back outside all pale and shit. And she she tells Doretta, and the red is like, oh, it's just this fucking house. Like, don't worry about it. It's not it's just that rogue electricity. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's been killing all of our appliances and shit. She settles Marilee down. They have a cup of coffee. And then the red goes into the same bathroom to dry her hair with the hairdryer. She puts on some headphones to listen to a radio. Because mm-hmm. this is before anything. <laughs> but no, she has a little radio in the bathroom. Just And that's her routine is she listens to music while she dries her hair. Okay. She throws her hair in front of her face and bends over like so it's hanging down. And then she hears this weird static noise and she assumes it's just the radio like needs to be retuned. But when she looks up, she sees that the hairdryer in her hand is in flames. (laughs) And so she just reacts and throws it on the ground and it like splits in half on the ground and the flames just go out. She just added it to the list of broken appliances. But Marilee was freaked. Marilee spends their day out trying to convince Doretta that she needs to move out of this house and that it's full of the devil. And when they get home that afternoon, as they walked into the kitchen and Doretta flips on the light, the ceiling fan in the kitchen had five actual light bulbs in it. And as she flips the switch, the lights light up and then they go out one after another, like methodically, like Mm -hmm. pop, pause, pop, pause. Yeah, in time. This sealed the deal for Marilee. <laughs> she got the fuck out of there. She's like, all right, nice seeing you. Seeing you another seven years. Next <laughs> time not here. at my house. Yeah, yeah. But Doretta had actually started to see sparks fly from the ends of her fingers. And like other people would see it too. 
like her best friend, your one Kelly, she would call her a witch because she just had fucking sparks coming off her fingers. And like we've all seen that, you know, like you go to plug something in or like flick a switch and every now and then you will see like the actual arc of the static electricity or whatever Mm -hmm. and you'll feel it too. Like I'm pretty sure I need to get grounding strips for my car because every time I go to a drive through for some reason, I fucking shock the person in the window. That's interesting. Yeah. And I've dropped like three fucking straws. <laughs> and every time the people look at me like I've assaulted them. <laughs> it's really uncomfortable. How um, dare you assault me, yeah, electricity like, man? This one older woman in McDonald's is like, <gasps> like, I, like I was a witch or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, oh, hi, sorry. Just give me another fucking straw, please. Anyway, I'm just rubbing my feet up on this uh, yeah, floor this, carpet. This carpet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Zap. Um, like Peter when he would do that to yeah. family <laughs> But anyway, this was happening often enough that Ron's theory about the reason why that they were breaking and blowing up was that Doretta was actually storing a charge in her body that was being released basically whenever she touched something that had a circuit like another person or an appliance. And the Redder just kind of accepted this theory. But one day she went to get clothes out of the dryer and Ron was sitting there uh, reading his newspaper or whatever. And she got such a bad shock that it actually knocked her back and she fell on the ground. So Ron like got up like he was like, what the fuck? Gets up, he tests the dryer and all like to see if there was any like loose earth or ground cables or something nothing he even hooked a light bulb up to it to like catch the stray uh like if there was a surge or anything like it should technically go to the light bulb first and they would see it light up mm-hmm. proving his point and i'm not gonna lie his theory was very like mansplainy mm-hmm. but he actually did work for the kentucky utilities power plant and at the power plant they had a discharge section that would help ground employees before they left to go home so they didn't Whoa. shock themselves yeah so I was like, oh, this, maybe this does make sense. And like, mm-hmm. so I Googled it, went down another fucking rabbit hole. And according to Wikipedia, it's not totally uncommon for the average human to carry up to a few tens of thousands of volts in their body. What? Yeah. Now, like one of the things I learned when I was in college and probably most people learned in basic elementary school science and I just wasn't paying attention was that like a person can withstand thousands and thousands of volts passing through their body like ridiculously high amounts of voltage as long as the amp the amperage is super low mm-hmm. like but if you had one volt that was more than i think 50 milliamps that could kill you mm-hmm. right so that's why it's like car batteries can be quite dangerous and stuff because they're high amp so as i was looking into this it said that under the right conditions with the right humidity levels the materials of the clothes the shoes synthetic carpet a person could really pack a punch and act as a natural capacitor it also said that like people who have more muscle mm-hmm. are more likely to be more resistant to electrical shocks and stuff like that mm-hmm. so say me in my current physique i'd be a little bitch like because i'm just like fucking jelly at this stage yeah so a shock would pass through the fat much easier than if i was like built like a brick shit house. yeah it would pass much slower through actual muscle i see so um 
yeah, I feel like I learned a lot today. <laughs> so it was not like totally as much as it was like a reaching explanation. Mm-hmm. It did prove a potential explanation for why all these things were happening. But things then went from bad to worse. Stephen was walking into the bathroom one morning. Stephen's the kid, remember? And Doretta saw that his back, chest and arms were covered in bruises that looked like he had been jabbed over and over again with like a broomstick or a pool cue or something. Obviously, she was concerned and he insisted he didn't know anything about them. He said he just woke up and they were all there. And the next day they were gone. So they were like, okay, that was fucking weird. Yeah. And then a few days later, they came back. Yeah, bruises don't behave that way. Yeah. So they went to the doctor. And the doctor, like, asked Doretta to leave the room and asked Stephen, like, you know, is he being bullied or anything like that? Mm-hmm. They did all sorts of actual medical tests and they couldn't find anything that would cause this. And eventually these weird reappearing bruises just stopped showing up. Heads up for this next little bit, just in case you're eating lunch or anything, maybe skip ahead a couple of minutes. But shortly after Stephen's mystery bruises, Doretta was dressing Ashley one morning when she smelled this horrific odor and found Ashley's underwear had a weird orange stain on them. The fuck? Yeah. And as she was like, what the fuck am I looking at? Ashley suddenly said, like, my tummy's hurting me. Like, Ashley's still only like three or four at this stage. And as she said that, the source of the stain started running down Ashley's legs. This lasted for a few hours. And again, because of the color of it, like this weird orange color, she brought it to the hospital. Again, the doctors had no answers and it just stopped as suddenly as it started. So she was peeing? No, 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 like she was shitting this weird orange substance. Oh, weird. Yeah, that smelled horrific, apparently. Well, yeah, shit tends to smell bad. Yeah, but like... It wasn't like she was complaining of a sore tummy all day. It was just like random. And yeah, then she this just is on. Orange. Yeah, and then it just stopped. That's so crazy. And uh, yeah, meanwhile, Doretta was just at constant battle with like head colds, flus, fevers. She ended up with pneumonia at one point, and one night she woke up and found her body covered in a blistering rash. Right. Oh. She said it wasn't painful, but when she looked in the mirror, she was covered like head to toe. And she was just tired. She just went back to bed. She's like, I'll go to the doctors in the morning or something. Woke up. Nothing there. Like Like not a trace. Like the bruises. Yeah. Her eyes became extremely sensitive to light at one point to where she had to wear sunglasses in the house and use steroid drops until they returned back to normal. Then she got bronchitis, which put her in the emergency room. She ended up on a ventilator and couldn't sleep lying down for like two or three weeks. She had to sleep in the living room, sitting up with her inhaler, literally in her hand. Damn, like a chicken. <laughs> yes, like a chicken. Like a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, something my mom says. Oh, what, you sleep up like sitting up yeah. like a chicken? Oh, mm-hmm. it's like an expression. I thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was decided that she needed to quit her job at the restaurant because... She kept getting sick? Yeah, and they just were like, look, you just run down. You need to give yourself a break. Take some time to actually recover properly. I see, yeah. But this caused huge tension between her and Ron because Ron was friendly with the restaurant owner. 
and knew that he was going to be retiring in a couple of years and Ron was kind of thinking like we'll just step in buy the place off of him at a good price and take over and that would be their business now like forget about the daycare or whatever right it's just a new business venture but the Reddit and Ron's relationship was already under a lot of strain at this point because like between this money pit that they were living in everything going wrong constantly Ron was just really like distancing himself like as time went by the less he was doing like in regards to actually fixing the house up and the more time he was spending at his actual job at the utility at the the power plant now quitting the job proved to be a great decision even after the initial arguments with ron doretta found her quality of life improved and this also had a knock-on effect with her marriage like things started to mellow out for a while and they were getting on again like really well so she started taking a class in accounting to pass the time give herself something to do in the evenings and uh, so even though she was taking a break she was still working towards her next like step career or goal move. or career move yeah. yeah she would go to class in the evenings and then typically she would study at the kitchen table right after everyone went to bed and stay there till around midnight getting her homework done and going over the day's lessons so at this point in the story it's september of 1989 and doretta found that whenever she would be sitting at the table doing her homework she just had this feeling like there was somebody watching her. Every night she would feel, as she described, like an antenna receiving a signal. That's how she put it. It was like, almost like an, an energy of sort. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, just that's there. Interesting. Yeah, a really good way of describing it, to be yeah. honest. And again, she kept this to herself until one night she looked up and saw a, quote, residual blur in the doorway as though someone was just jumping out of the way mm-hmm. like someone had been peeking around and then they were gone but she gets up thinking like oh it's one of the kids or something and she goes to follow them and there's no one there so she checks each of the bedrooms and finds everybody asleep and tucked into their beds and then the next morning she tells ron she's like you know i, I think i saw something last night like it was the darndest thing but guess what chicken butt ron says you're tired though you are tired though as in short for doretta not because i can't say (laughs) you're tired though yeah you're tired though (laughs) uh you're tired doretta you're just studying too hard you should start getting more sleep Hmm. but she couldn't help but notice that ron and steven around the same time like she would catch them like looking over their shoulders at like random times as if somebody had tapped them on the shoulder or they were expecting to see someone hanging around behind them Mm -hmm. but like nobody said anything about it she would just notice this like kind of weird behavior Mm -hmm. so a few months after this i guess like new development in the behavior of the house or the people in the house they decided to ship Stephen and ashley off to spend the weekend at ron's mom's house so they could have a nice romantic couple of days together without scarring the kids for the rest of their lives (laughs) (laughs) they went to bed around 10 o'clock to fuck and like literally that's what she said in the book so i'm not like not in so many words but she made a point of saying like they went to bed early to make love and uh she made a point of not closing the door because it's like i don't even have to worry because there's nobody fucking here yeah i'm just gonna leave the door closed like a little bit but still yeah yeah but either way it was like a novel thing that she was able to do this so they were making the most of it 
doing it with the door open. <laughs> and, uh, oh my God. yeah, so around 10 o'clock, Ron is lying on his side with his back to the door. I'm assuming they're both naked at this point. And Doretta is sitting cross-legged, facing him, looking down at whatever she's doing. And she notices movement in the hallway. And she looks up and she sees a little girl standing there holding the doorknob and pushing the door open. So this one, this time it's not just like a vision or an image of something in her head. Like this is something interacting with the door. Yeah. She's, this little girl is slowly pushing the door further open. Ashley, Doretta blurts out, causing Ron to jump up and turn around, thinking like, what the fuck? Like, you know, because they're all in their birthday suits and whatever. But by the time he turns around, the little girl was gone, along with the sexual tension. So Ron was like, it couldn't have been, Ashley. Like, you're just paranoid because we're doing it with the door open. But Doretta said, no, it, it wasn't Ashley. It was this. It was another girl. This little girl had a fringe or uh, bangs. And she was carrying a baby doll, just like Ashley used to. She looked like the way Ashley used to look before. But it wasn't Ashley. And also she was opening the door and she was trying to point out saying like, look, it's moved. This is not how I left the door. But Ron wasn't having any of it. He just kind of was like, you're just paranoid, like just let it go. And he drifted off to sleep. Leaving Doretta to deal with the fear that her mind was slipping further and further into this madness. So a few nights later, Doretta wakes up to Ashley screaming, right? And as she's making her way to Ashley's room, in the middle of the darkness, she hears all these loud banging noises in the attic. Fucking birds again, or like the rafters settling, whatever it is, but it was loud this time. She was just worried about getting Ashley settled down. And when she went into her room, Ashley was screaming. He's hurting her, Ashley yelled. I can hear him hurting her. Sweetheart, I said, lifting her out of the bed. You've had a bad dream. No, mommy, he's hurting her. Make him stop. She stopped squirming in my arms, and I realized the attic was quiet. I put her back in bed, pulled the blanket up and kissed her forehead. Go back to sleep, I said. As I moved away from her bed and reached for the light switch, Ashley raised her head. It wasn't a dream, mommy. I was awake all the time. Fuck that. <laughs> nice punctuation but the ebb and flow of this whole activity or, or whatever like does seem really typical with like poltergeist business and for a lot of this story uh so far like one night Stephen was getting himself a glass of water in the kitchen when the glass was seemingly pulled out from his hand like as if someone just grabbed the bottom of the glass and went, fuck it <laughs> and like yeeted it across the room do you know what i mean and the red the red was sitting there yeah. Like, so he was in shock and she was also like, no, I saw it. Don't worry. And then she had started to go missing. So like Doretta put her wedding ring on the counter one night when she was doing dishes. And what well, was actually Stephen put it there and she saw him. And then she turned around when she was getting everything wrapped up and it was gone. They tore the place apart looking for it. And was like, I don't know where it could be. Next morning, it's sitting right there on the counter. Jeez. it's so frustrating it's like fuck you look then on another occasion 
Doretta opens a brand new accounting textbook. Like one evening, it's her first time going through it. She's just going to take a quick look and see what the next stages of the course are going to be or whatever. And in between two of the pages is her marriage license. What the fuck? Yeah, her marriage license, which had been upstairs in like one of those safe boxes where you're yeah. not really sure where it is, but you know it's there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And like she said, like if somebody had asked her to get it, it probably would have taken her an afternoon to find it. Mm. But here it was in this brand new book. So even though some of the stuff that's happening is really like really scary, like all the dead animals and stuff. Mm-hmm. Other stuff is also just really weird and annoying like yeah like, like typical poltergeist like usual, stuff. yeah not only was the red having these experiences inside the house but also outside her like regular life was just being affected oh really she saw herself one day oh shit in town yeah and not just like passing in the shop or anything like that staring at her a woman in a blue car pulled beside her but going the opposite way pulled up looked directly at her smiled and then drove off no yeah so Doretta was like in a state of shock like followed the car going past her and then looked in the rear view and there was nothing oh my god that scared me yeah right <laughs> and so there was a lady in the local town and when they first moved there mm-hmm. everybody that they met and like became friends with were like oh my god like you look so much like whatever her name is but she knew that lady because so many people had made a point of saying, you look so much alike. And she was like, this was not her. This woman was me. And this happened again two or three more times after that. And then like she learned about like doppelgangers and the whole thing behind it. But again, it happened two or three more times before she said anything to Ron or anything. And again, it was like, oh, you know, you're just tired. But then like she also experienced time lapses. yeah so one day she was heading over to her friend kelly's house and kelly they were close friends she was a little bit younger than doretta but her two little girls were around ashley's age and so they hung around a lot because they would go for play dates and each other's houses although kelly stopped going to doretta's house like she just was like i don't like it there i'm sorry anyway um Doretta was heading over to Kelly's house one day and she had pulled down like a, I think like a side road to take like the nice scenic route. But the scenic route was only like an extra five minutes. It took her five hours. Whoa. And in Doretta's experience, she was still listening to like the same song and stuff. Wow. On the radio. But by the time she showed up at Kelly's house, she was like, where the fuck were you? Like, and it wasn't, it was, this was before mobile phones. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Kelly just assumed that she had gotten distracted or something happened to the car or something and mm-hmm. the writer was like what are you talking about I, I just left the house like but no five hours was completely unexplained missing from the day the headaches that she had been suffering from got worse and worse and one day her sight just stopped right so she like couldn't see anymore yeah for a few minutes she said it just went so all she could see was like she could make out some shapes then it was just blackness that's so terrifying yeah absolutely and this happened a couple of times and like ron they they went to the hospital and all and like on the way to the hospital her sight just came back 
And she's like, oh, I'm fine now. Let's go home. I was like, no, you psycho. (laughs) (laughs) But I have heard of people that suffer from like really bad migraines. This can happen. Mm. But these all this stuff kind of came out of the blue. So when the, the doctors, when they got to the hospital, they took it very seriously and they gave her all like brain scans and all the tests they could like think of. But like nothing, it all came back negative. Foods she normally liked repulsed her. Shit she normally hated. She was craving. She was not pregnant. Her hair started to turn blonde at the roots. Whoa. Yeah. And so she went to like the her hairdresser or whatever. She was like, hey, I need like, you know, please dye this so it doesn't look like a bad dye job. Yeah. And nothing they put in the hair would stick. Whoa. Like the blonde kept coming back through. Eventually, I think she would end up using like the cheaper stuff. That is actually like just sits on your hair. Yeah. I think like what the old men use. And then eventually it just stopped and it would start growing back in. Like she was a brunette or something like that. But um, just randomly like. And then the house was producing like rancid, od- rancid odors at random. They had infestations of what sounds like horse flies. Then wasps. Then both red and black ants that seemed immune to bug sprays. There was a tree in the backyard that just became completely covered in these green flies that they couldn't get rid of. And when Ron decided, fuck it, I'll just cut the tree down, he went out and they said it was as if these flies attacked him. Yeah. And when the wasps were coming in, they said it was like planned attacks. Like they'd be sitting in the room all together or something, like maybe 12 or 15 wasps would get in and all be in like attack mode. And then so they'd battle to fucking get these wasps killed and then another lot and then another lot. Yeah, it was like they were coming in like droves. Yeah. Just the weirdest shit. That is weird. I've never heard of like insect assaults. (laughs) Yeah, it was like planned warfare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Another like random ass thing. Doretta answered the phone to her cousin one day and the cousin said, where have you been? Doretta said, "I've, I've been home all day. I've been trying to call you for three weeks. Like, have you been away? Not for three weeks. Nobody answered the phone? Uh, yeah. Who did you talk to? Ashley. Why didn't you just have her call me or Ron to the phone? Every time I called, she said you weren't there. Jenny, you know I would never leave my child alone here, like. Yeah. I thought it was pretty strange, too. Every time I called, the little girl answered and I said, Ashley? And she said, yes. I said, is your mama there? No. Is your dad there? No, I'm all alone. Then she'd hang up. I was about to give up on getting in touch with you. So she had been calling this same number like every couple of days for like three fucking weeks. And so it couldn't have been the wrong number that she was consistently getting or anything like that. It was just another one of these weird, unexplained occurrences. And so Doretta went to Ashley and was like, hey, have you been picking up the phone? Mm -hmm. But Ashley's like, no, like. If the phone rings, Ashley would just sit there and ignore it. Yeah, who was phone? Yeah, yeah, who was phone, exactly. Ron was getting moodier and just more withdrawn, like, by the day. He would start to say weird shit because the two of them were fighting constantly now. And Doretta was threatening divorce at this point. And one night, Ron said, If I ever found out you were cheating on me with another man, I'd kill you. I could kill someone. Wouldn't bother me. And she said the coldness with which he said it 
was the most terrifying thing. It was just matter of fact. He had changed completely. Like there was never any sort of violent tendencies or anything in this man before. And like I was saying, he's a big fucking guy. Mm-hmm. Like six six, looks like John Candy, like same same build basically, I think. And then he actually got into a fist fight with Stephen, who was fifteen at this point. And Stephen tried to fight back. Like they were both throwing punches at each other, but ultimately Ron bet the shit out of Stephen. Well yeah, he's John and, Candy. Yeah, he's a fucking giant. But the kid was left in such a bad state that Doretta sent him to go and live with uh, her granddad for a few weeks until he got better. Mm-hmm. And just to like give them both some space. like. But after the fight, Ron just like went on as normal, as if nothing had happened. Yeah. Like, again, like the flip of a switch, like that, that was it. Like no remorse or anything. Yeah, no, nothing. It was just like, oh, well, that happened. Okay, let's go, like yeah. move on. But Doretta's granddad... Who, remember, his wife was the one who used to, like, deal with the, I guess, punishing the kids before. Like, he was no stranger to a beating. Yeah. He told Doretta if this ever happened again, he would have Stephen taken away from them. Like, I guess he would go to court and fight and adopt him or do whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's how bad it was, you know? Or, I mean, there is that thing where it's like grandparents become a little more soft. May- yeah, maybe. Yeah. And either way, black eyes on a kid are no fucking... Right. But not long after this, Stephen started acting pretty much the same as Ron. There was, like, obviously the regular, typical moody teenage stuff. But one day he asked Doretta for permission to go somewhere. And she said no. And so he went off to his room, like, probably in a huff. But Doretta followed him into his room to explain why she didn't want... I'm sure it wasn't as, you know, calm and whatever as just like well now you know Stephen, we can't do it i'm sure it was like a nagging mom like i'll tell you why you can't go <laughs> but as she was leaving the room she was pulling the door closed behind her and Stephen ripped the door out of her hand picked her up and threw her against the wall in the Whoa. hallway he flipped out he picked her up off the floor where she had landed and threw her into the living room And she hit the back of the couch. She said like she hit her neck so hard that she was actually afraid to move for a second. But then she didn't have that long to think about it because as she lay dazed on the floor, he jumped on top of her and sat on her chest. Quote, I looked up at his face and was horrified. His cheeks and jaw were hard as stone. His eyes were on fire. His mouth was twisted and white foam drooled from his lips. I was vaguely aware of Ashley pleading with her brother to stop. Stephen, I yelled. The foam from his mouth dripped onto my face. He didn't respond to my cries, showed no recognition of me at all. I love you, Stephen, I love you. Gagging and gasping, I said those words over and over again. Suddenly, he went limp. His eyes closed and he rolled over onto the floor. Right? Like, what is fucking happening? She she went into the bathroom to calm herself down and like get a hold of herself. And wiped the fucking white foam off her face. And when she left the bathroom, Stephen was passed out on his bed, seemingly completely fast asleep. The next morning, he had absolutely no recollection of this. And their relationship was he was actually very protective of his mom. Because uh, like that, Ron wasn't his dad. She had had him with a with a her, previous marriage. Yeah, with a previous marriage. And like at the age of, 
I think 15 or something like so they had had they had been through the mill together mm-hmm. you know and naturally he was very defensive or pr- protective of him of her so the next morning he was asking how she had gotten these bruises on her wrists and her arms and when she told him what had gone on he was like absolutely shocked could not believe it and they they did go to the, like the school psychiatrist or with a counselor and unfortunately it was just about that time of year where school closed up for the for the summer then and this whole episode is just and then this happened and then this happened but right after that things with Doretta and Ron came to a head after a company picnic or like some sort of event at the Kentucky Utilities plant Doretta was there and they were getting like a tour like you know come see where your husband works or whatever yeah and she discovered that Ron had a stack of playboys in his work locker mm-hmm. now she wasn't upset about the playboys she was upset the fact that he felt he had to hide it from her mm-hmm. and yeah okay i get it but i think it was just what like the catalyst or whatever and she held on to this rage all throughout the day like had a nice day with the family and all the friends but when they got home she just lost it started screaming at him and let him have it yeah yeah and he retaliated and the next thing the two of them are just screaming at one another suddenly ron just lost it hit her right in the mouth yeah and like i think it was a good solid punch like and then he just stormed out of the house and he left her bleeding and like in a bad way she went in got herself like cleaned up in the bathroom and then ron came back a little while later they just ignored each other and he went to bed early as usual the next morning they're making coffee in the kitchen and ron asks what's wrong with you like how come you're not talking to me? Just like Stephen, he had no memory of what had happened the night before. And he was like, I wouldn't like, I can't believe you're saying this. I would never like raise my hand to you. Like, I'm that's not me. But Dorena fucking lost it. She was like, I'll show you the bloody fucking blouse that you left me with last night, if you don't believe me. And as they're getting into it again, in walks little Ashley who had seen the whole thing the night before Mm -hmm. and she stands up for her mom and she starts telling Ron, no, I saw you, daddy. Like, I saw you hit mom. But the argument had already spiraled and next thing, Doretta is throwing cookie jars, cups, ashtrays, anything she she could get her hands on. Ron's all cut on his forehead and the other, like any small cut on your forehead just looks gnarly anyway. There's like blood all down his face and stuff. And he starts to go for her. No, I don't know whether he's just trying to calm her down or whatever. But she just instantly goes for the butcher knife. And the first thing that she thinks is, I have to kill him now. Thankfully, whatever had come over them went out of them at the same time. And when she grabbed that butcher knife, she said her whole body just went limp. And she was like, I can't, like, what am I doing? Like, like realization, like, sank in. And the both of them seemed to see sense. So... Ron packed a suitcase and went to stay with his mom for a little while. Like, obviously, this was not healthy for fucking anyone. And then that night, as Doretta was sitting in the house on her own, well, with the kids in bed, she saw that shadow that she had often caught glimpses of, like passing, hiding behind doorways and stuff. But tonight, it stopped in the doorway. It brought with it the terrible odor that they had been experiencing on and off for months. And when she looked up, 
It was just the shape of a head and torso, floating about three feet off the floor. No defined features, just the vaguest suggestion of a man. She blinked, and it was gone. Later that evening, she heard loud footsteps walking down the hallway toward her room as she was getting ready to go to bed. But of course, when she checked, nobody there. She felt very alone. But the day after this, everything was blissful. Ron was gone. The house was calm and there was no strange goings on. Her and Ron were talking on the phone every day. And like this space that they had worked wonders. Like they came to an agreement. They said, hey, look, we'll go to counseling together. Ron said he was going to make an extra effort. You know, they wanted to be together. This was the life that they wanted. So after the few days, he came back and everything felt great. The house kept that friendly feeling. And then one evening, Ron stopped to buy flowers and wine. And, you know, he was on his way home. But Doretta was at her classes. So when he gets home, he tells the kids they need to get their asses in bed as soon as mom comes home because it's mommy daddy time. <laughs> and the kids obliged because they were just happy that they they were, they were back. getting along yeah you know what i mean so they were like absolutely no problem you can bang her with the door open if you want Gross. <laughs> no so he puts the flowers in the bedroom he lights a couple of candles on the dresser as Doretta comes in the kitchen door is the one that they use as she comes in the kitchen the kids give her a quick kiss good night and then they go to bed mom and dad sit in the kitchen enjoying their wine and then they hear the smoke alarm go off and they think oh it just needs a new battery like it's fine Doretta continues telling Ron all about the day she had. But then the smoke alarm keeps going and keeps going. So they run through the living room towards the bedroom and they see thick black smoke bellowing out from underneath their bedroom door. Doretta screamed to get the kids up. Ron ran into the room to put the fire out and Doretta goes to Ashley's room first. She opens the door and it was already so full of smoke that she couldn't even see her. So she runs in grabs her runs back out Stephen's crawling up the corridor you know under the smoke or whatever mm -hmm. she dumps Ashley outside Stephen runs back in grabs her a blanket sets her up on a lawn chair and then helps Doretta and Ron bringing pots of water into the bedroom to put out this fire Doretta calls the fire department and they do their best to douse the fire by the time the firemen show up everything is pretty much under control flames wise but the firemen still come in and like you know, spray their foam and make sure that this isn't going to reignite later on. They take out the the whole bed was completely destroyed and still smoldering. Mm -hmm. So they dragged that stuff out and like left it in the back garden to die out. And they made sure that the house was safe. But they said they had never seen anything like this before. They said it was as if someone had poured gasoline all over the bedroom. That was how fast it spread and the intensity of it. The candles that Ron had lit had been in safe, fireproof metal stands with like the, I think the old fashioned glass kind of lamp mm -hmm. thing sitting on top of it. But one of them had been knocked over. Okay, just one. And the strangest thing was that between the kids going to bed and the fire alarm going off, only about 10 minutes had passed. And the whole house was destroyed. The whole house? The whole house. Like, not just from the fire, but the smoke damage. Mm. So the next day was spent organizing insurance and contractors. And they had had to go out and, like, 
pick out all the new paint and the carpet because the contractor was like hey if you get the shit today i'll start it straight away so they were doing the whole bit as well like the firemen had to knock down knock a hole in one of the walls i guess to make sure that there was nothing in the wall like still burning mm-hmm. or anything so like it really made fucking shit of the house yeah ron and doretta got back to the house around four forty-five the next day they had ashley with them and Stephen had been dropped off, I think, by the school bus around 15 minutes before them. But when he got home, he went into the bathroom and found that the rug in the bathroom was on fire. And there was a cigarette, a lit cigarette next to it, the just fuck? lying on the bathroom floor. So he assumed it was his mom because his mom smokes, I guess, oh. at the time. So when they got home, he was like, Mom, I'm so disappointed. Like, how, after last night only, how could you do this? Yeah. They were like, no, like we have been gone since nine o'clock this morning. Yeah. Any cigarette that I would have had would have been like the house would have been burnt down by now if that was the case. Yeah. But now they were back to seriously considering that somebody was somehow getting into the house and Mm -hmm. fucking with them. So they sat the kids down and they gave them a stern talking to about making sure, you know, be extra careful when you're locking up the house and keep an eye out for anyone weird hanging around outside or even like at the playground or whatever. And if you do see anyone weird, let us know. So Ashley pipes up at this point and she asks her mom to bring her to the toilet. She was holding out her hand and looking like she had an ulterior motive. Mm. So Doretta said, "Okay, come on. And when they got to the toilet, only when the door was closed and they were on their own, she looked up at her mom and said, Daddy didn't start the fire. Of course he didn't, honey. It was an accident. That's all. I'm not mad at Daddy and I'm not going to send him away. (laughs) Thinking that this this is what was troubling Ashley because she just got her dad back. No, mommy. The people in the attic did it. They're mad and they're going to burn the house down. And that's where I'm leaving this story. (laughs) Wow. Thank you. That's all. (laughs) You know, a little bit of a reaction. there. Just wow. The people in the attic did it. This is crazy. Like, this is a fucking movie. Yeah. I mean, I've tried to find and see if it is a movie. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe like it could have been a Lifetime movie or something like that. But yeah, I don't know. My mind is blown with it so far. (sighs) That's why I spent a good, well, like 10 hours getting these notes written because it was like. There's just so much. There's so much. And I knew that that was the point that I wanted to stop it at before I move on. Like to squeeze all that in. Um, and I did leave out like a good chunk. Yeah. So there's the people in the attic part one. I can see why this shit scared you because I'm scared. Yeah, right. So especially when like I'm the only one awake in the house and shit and all the lights are off and I'm just yeah, in yeah. here. But the blind is open. I'm waiting to look out and see like the shadow of someone in the car or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and like when I say it covers every horror movie thing, like the old lady in the bathroom was such like shining vibes and then yeah there's something there's something specifically jarring about this story and i don't know what it is but it is very like it's it's i could feel the fear down to my bones and i think a lot of it has to do with like the fact that she's not afraid of a ghost but she's so afraid of losing her mind maybe that's what it is i mean There's, there's a much more real sense of like I could lose my family because of this. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe. I don't know. that, And then there's like the talking doll. And I don't know. It's just, it's all fucking. It's, fuck. There's something very different about this yeah. story. And then 
I actually the the bit with Stephen when he just seemed to like blank out mm-hmm. and I, like drooling and I know like what it was like animalistic. I felt like I was back reading the story about the werewolf. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, this yeah. is a very similar. Anyway, hope you're still listening. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Also, if you are still listening, some funny names that I learned this week thanks to work are Armberger. That's somebody's surname. Yankaway and Phallus. So uh, there you go. <clears throat> there you go. All right, guys. If you are. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please make sure to rate, review us on iTunes. Follow us on uh, fucking Instagram, all that shit, YouTube, blah, blah, blah. There's going to be more videos coming out soon. Dulce's makeup video channel is coming out soon also. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, all of the things are still still going on. And yeah, I think that's it. Sick. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.